1: I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol is the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. She served as chairman of the board of directors for the National Council on Aging. She's been a member of the Rays Family Caregiving Advisory Council under the Federal Department of Health and Human Services. Carol has a master's degree in social gerontology and more than 25 years' experience in the field of aging and caregiving, and she was one of Next Avenue's top 50 influencers on aging. And Carol Zernio, we have a really neat topic we're going to be taking up. Well, we love to
2: talk to other people who have podcasts that are excellent. Uh, And so, uh, talking about 24 7 podcasts for caregiving, how perfect is that?
1: It is absolutely perfect and a great way to welcome Kitty Isley. She is an Emmy Award winning producer. Kitty spent two decades at NPR, most recently as supervising senior editor of Morning Edition. Her radio work has been recognized with Dupont, Peabody, and James Beard Awards. She began her career with Ken Burns as one of the producers of his landmark series, Civil War, for PBS 24-7. Her podcast is about caregiving. It was inspired by her own experience caring for her dad. And without taking up too much time introducing her, why don't we welcome her? Kitty Isley, thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS on Air.
3: Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be back, and I'm excited to find out what you're all doing.
1: Well, take us back to when you were a caregiver for your dad. What was that all about?
3: You know, my parents, I grew up outside Washington, D.C. in the suburbs, and my parents were still in the same house, and I was living in Washington, D.C., and at the time, about six, seven years ago, I was working mostly at night for Morning Edition, the NPR morning news magazine, and my parents were having more and more Physical issues were, it involved doctor's visits, a hospitalization, sometimes what's called a step-down rehabilitation clinic. Uh, My mom had hip replacements, broken bones, lots of problems that required somebody to help both parents navigate the medical industry, the medical system. And because of my sister and myself, I had the more flexible, somewhat flexible schedule. I started getting to know how it works when you have an aging parent who has either medical or cognitive issues, and what resources exist and what don't. And as my mom got sicker and passed away in 2016, my dad's condition declined pretty rapidly. He was a very um, outgoing, athletic, intelligent guy, but he had a heart issue, a heart condition from childhood. And that started to take him down and cause real cognitive loss. So while he had The fairly robust, you know, worked out, tried to do lots of things around the house. He was losing balance. He was losing memory. And he was having a hard time tracking things. So doing things in order or keeping track of, you know, ovens are on or the car was parked in this place. And after he'd been hospitalized and we tried for a lengthy period and tried a rehab facility that we hoped he'd live at. It was kind of clear he wanted to be in his own home. And I felt like I was reading a lot about death and dying and elder care. And I thought the only thing I can really do for him is make him feel safe and comfortable and hopefully happier. And that's going to be in his own house where he can sit in his chair and look at his azaleas and watch a ball game. And that was 2018. And at the time, it didn't look like he had much more than six months. I moved in. I'd rented out the condo I normally live in in downtown DC and moved back to my childhood home. And we hired an outside helper, a caregiver, about 15 hours a week for the first year. And he kept going. Now it got harder to take care of him and we bumped up our caregiver hours, but he was fairly happy as his condition declined. But that meant more and more work on me managing nighttime stuff, falls, Doctor's appointments, blood testing, physical therapy, a couple of more than one or two runs to the ER. Because when you're elderly and on blood thinner, you have a bump, it can be a real problem. Um, so that is how I became an unexpected, unanticipated caregiver. And um, I can't say I regret any of it, but it really took a lot more than I had ever anticipated.
1: I'm going to talk cool. more about it in just a moment. Stay with us. For those who've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air we're talking with Kitty Isley. She's the producer of 24-7, a story about caregiving, a podcast that we'd love for you to take advantage of. Season three is coming up and we'll tell you how you can listen to that podcast. Uh, Kitty, as I listen to you, it's pretty obvious where the title came from. Caregiving is 24-7.
3: Very much. And I'll be honest with you, my first title was Demented because I felt like I was losing my mind. I was not you know, trying to be unkind towards someone. It was a play on words, but it very much made me feel like I'd gone to a foreign country where I didn't speak the language. And it was confusing and crossing all wires. My professional life changed. My financial life changed. My emotional life changed. And physically what I had to do every day changed. And and this was sort of like you dropped me on Mars. Um, but some folks felt that wasn't, didn't feel comfortable as a name for them. So we moved it to 24 seven because that was the other part of it. It is around the clock. And I'm sure your listeners and Carol certainly can identify those activities and those needs.
2: Well, you know, having been involved in caregiving for such a long time, when you think about the state of caregiving and where we are, if you had your magic wand, you know, what would you change first uh, about where we all are?
3: You know, I'm going to be political here, which might be a little Dicey, but this is where I'm at. This is a national problem, and I think we can have society help solve it. And here's why I say that if we have a society that helps us be the best selves we can be and live harmoniously together, I do think that there's a place for that society to help us when we can't help ourselves. And that extends from childcare to elder care. Those are two periods of life where you're not really able to be on top, be in charge of yourself, and you need some help. We as a country are one of very few that don't have long-term care. And I'm talking about the period many people know about hospice, but this is the period way before hospice where you might become unable to do what they call activities of daily living. So dressing yourself, motoring, getting somewhere to a doctor's appointment, being able to adequately and safely cook for yourself, go to the bathroom and shower and take care of hygiene. Some of those things fall off for people either because of physical limitations or cognitive changes. That needs help, and we don't offer any. We don't offer any paid help from the government to do that. If you're in a situation of extreme need, that's when the government will step in. So for me, I feel like if we looked at valuing our families in a sense of family values, we'd value them more financially from birth to death and say there are places for government to do more help and for private industry and philanthropy. I mean, I don't see why they can't work together, but right now it's sort of left to the individual family. And usually that defaults to a woman because care work has been pretty much done by women and done unpaid. And so even the folks who are doing it for pay are making below the minimum wage. And that's well, and why they I... leading the profession.
2: Yeah, and I think that that you know that's the piece where, where you are is the piece that gives me hope that we're finally seeing that if we join across the generations, this intergenerational issue of caring for children, of caring for adults with disabilities, of caring for older people, in that and recognizing that we're paying we our most precious resource, the people in our lives that we love the most, we. Turn them over to someone who is making minimum wage, that is the value that we put on that work. Uh, and so that, that coming together to say, hey, we, we need people who are trained and are paid well. We need people um, and we need to work together to make sure that this happens uh, because the situation has become untenable, especially during COVID where there are no workers. Right. They all went away right. and haven't come back yet.
3: And you put your finger on it. This is the thing we say we love most and value most. So let's value it. And, you know, we do invest a lot in child education, certainly. Um, But at the end of life, not so much. And I think you're right. If we could look at this as a continuum, and I'll make one more point before I want to hear from Ron. Um, It occurred to me, I don't know anybody who went to college in my world who ever had a class on care raising a child, caring for an elder, it's not even offered unless you're majoring in like early childhood education. It's just not part of a liberal arts degree for the most part. What does that say? I don't know how, like intuitively, I don't know how to lift my dad out of a chair safely. He weighs more than I do. I no one's ever shown me that. And if you sent me home with a newborn, I certainly never had any instruction. So I even think like, Thinking more broadly about how we equip young people for their full lives might be great to think about. How can you partner and think about family obligations or family, um, you know, family affiliation from from your childhood to your grandparenthood,
1: cradle to well, grave.
3: Yeah, that.
2: and you bring up a good point because we often don't think of caregivers as being young people themselves. There are children who are taking care of adults with mental illness or taking care of a grandparent that has dementia, uh, young people, and they are often, you know, all of us that are left out in the caregiving world, they're the left out among them. So, you know, there are many, many voices out there.
3: I think they're they're,
1: invisible to to most of society.
3: Most of us are, and I um, I think the numbers around 50 million people in America are doing unpaid care Of some sort for someone over 50. And a quarter of those are millennials, which puts them under 40 years old themselves. We
1: recently interviewed the uh, assistant secretary for aging uh, who who told us that the numbers they believe are way, way underestimating how many caregivers are out there.
3: Well, I think we can do better. It's a matter of asking ourselves how we can do better together and holding our employers and legislators accountable and say, look, we all want healthy and happy families, and we want to do good work. And sometimes you can't do that when you have an elder who can't stand up. You're going to have to be able to take care of them as kindly as you were taken care of by them, probably.
1: Now, we're going to talk more about this in just a moment. And I also want to find out, for those of us who are in San Antonio, where Caregiver SOS Air originates, there is a San Antonio connection to 24-7, the podcast. I'm Ron Nair, and along with Carol Zernio, we're talking with Kitty Isley, who is the producer, along with Ben Henry of 24-7, the podcast dealing with caregiving. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not-normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. We are so pleased you are sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zernio. We're talking with Kitty Isley. She and Ben Henry are the producer of 24-7, a podcast that deals with caregiving. And Kitty, we had you on this show many months ago. I want to remind people there is a neat San Antonio connection to
3: 24-7. Let me say first of all thank you to Texas Public Radio out of San Antonio. And I speak as someone who's been operating at all levels of public radio, and I have never seen a network or a station so central to the community and such a dynamic part of it. And I am so impressed. And I'm coming down in January because I want to say thank you to everyone, but also just to get to know it a little better. I was doing some short-term work for Texas Public Radio, helping them edit some of their podcasts and develop some of their programs. When I mentioned that I'd been basically tape recording myself on my cell phone, kind of as I went about my day with my dad and I didn't know what to do with it. I was still caregiving and I was frankly pretty wrung out. And I thought, well, I should probably do something with this, but I don't even have the energy. And they offered to help and they went and found a fantastic sponsor at the University of Texas, San Antonio, the Biggs Institute for Neurodegenerative Disease, Alzheimer's and neurode- Neurodegenerative Diseases. The At
1: UT Health.
3: At UT Health. So I have nothing but praise and and real gratitude. And the talent down there is amazing. And the fact that they've got this um, NIH-sponsored Alzheimer's Research Center, that's not terribly common around the country. I mean, you have some real treasures in your area.
1: Well, for those who don't know and who haven't had a chance to listen to 24-7, first tell us where we can find it and talk to us about the series.
3: Sure. Anybody who has a, a... smartphone with an app or even a computer can go to almost any of those podcast platforms. So starting with Texas Public Radio, which is tpr.org, you can poke around there and look for 24-7. You can look on your NPR One app. If you have a, a phone with the NPR One app, it shows up there. If you have Apple, Spotify, any, name any major platform, um, it's we spell it out 24-7 a podcast about caregiving. And it's spelled out because that's an easier way to keep track of it. If you just do 247, you might get some sports radio. Seems to be a lot of that. So I would go to any podcast platform where you listen to podcasts and type in 24-7 caregiving, and you should find it. Take us through the two
1: seasons.
3: (laughs) Sure, we're into our third season right now, actually. Right. The first season, I'll tell you, it was me kind of asking people, How do I do this? I'm I'm absolutely flattened. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I don't know why there's no roadmap for this, but the roadmap that exists doesn't really work for our family. We keep having emergencies and going to the hospital, and then somebody has to go to a rehab center to get well. And then we bring them home and they're not fully able to function at home. And somebody's tracking physical therapist, occupational therapists, somebody to help come with meals. It was overwhelming. So I started calling people I knew who had been in this situation for advice. And that first season included my audio tape of caring for my dad. So he loved to play Scrabble. So we played an immense, just immense amount of Scrabble every night. Now, as his brain got a little more fuzzy, he made up some of his own rules, but he still was pretty good with words. I used some of that kind of audio tape to show what someone can be doing, even if they have some dementia. But I had to learn how to give my dad a shave. I might have mentioned that the last time we spoke. That happened in a hospital. It's a really weird thing to do. And I found out that Gillette was making a special razor designed to give people, give someone who's in a care situation, the ability to give someone else a shave. If you're not near water, if somebody's bed bound, if they're not able to stand up safely at the sink because they may have balance problems. So I called up the guy who designed that and asked him how he figured this out. I talked to a friend who's a hospice chaplain about, should I talk to my dad about dying? And all of those were in the first season, and my dad passed just as we were putting it out. Huh. So we sort of pivoted for the second season, and I started asking other people what they did in their families and what they what element of this experience they could give me some insight. So Patty Davis, daughter of Ronald Reagan for many years ran a caregiving group for families who had family members with Alzheimer's. And she spoke about how she adjusted her own relationship with her parents as her father declined and as she had to step in and do more care. One place I'm seeing a lot of this in popular culture, even though this was last season, younger people are using social media to show themselves doing care work. And I I wasn't too comfortable putting my dad out there. I didn't wanna sever his privacy. But if the younger generation that's very comfortable on TikTok and Instagram has made a real effort, I think, or made a real dent in consciousness, because I'm seeing this all over. Younger people doing care for elders, frequently that's the millennial generation Carol was talking about, where they might post a little minute-long snapshot helping their grandmother get dressed or out of bed, or um, dancing around the house and trying to get someone a little exercise, or putting safety locks on the cabinets because somebody, an elder person has enough dementia that they're not safe around household products. Those kinds of um, platforms for showing us what people are doing, I think is helping get it out from behind your family's living room. That's why we don't know about this because everybody's doing it at home or in an institution. We don't see us. So that's the third season is how do we see us? If 50 million people are doing this, why don't I know about it? Where can I see this activity in movies, TV shows, books, social media, music? Are artists helping me understand how I can do this better? And that's what I ask in the third season and find comedians, novelists, crime writers who write for television, trying to bring this activity out to make it more public and make it more like something we all talk about.
1: What's the response you're getting from comedians, from uh, writers, producers, directors,
3: you know, they're all really glad to have someone interested in it. They've had a harder time, you know, making Hollywood pay attention, Is Walter Mosley, the great crime writer, the detective novelist, had a, has a TV show out with Apple TV this year called The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray, and it's based on his book, a novel about an elderly Black man with Alzheimer's. And as he said, you can't get Hollywood to make that movie. Took us 12 years, and um, Apple TV had deep pockets, so they wanted to make it. But putting older people on screen and communicating their issues is not a big seller for Hollywood. However, the success of the TV show This Is Us on NBC this past year, in which one of the main characters is a mother who develops Alzheimer's, that was so widely discussed and it made me so glad to see that as a way caregiving can come front and center.
2: Well, and you know, I I think of um how caregiving has gone mainstream. It was a science fiction show. I don't remember which one, but it was somebody who'd been turned into a vampire who was a caregiver and just that whole science fiction kind of a vampires and caregiving. And
3: yes. uh, I felt realize that we're in a different place. Yeah, and, glad, and I'm glad, and I want, I mean, I speak from the point of view of a family caregiver. So I did this for a family member, parented my parent, but of the workforce that does this for pay, It's largely women of color, very heavily an immigrant workforce, underpaid and overworked. And I know so many of these women who are turning, you know, it's the opposite of vampire. They're not taking from us. They're giving to us. I mean, they're sustaining life. And I want that group of people, those caregivers, celebrated and compensated. And we need them. We need those people in our economy. And we need to see them as professionals. This is hard work. But and we're
1: going to run out of family caregivers in, in just a few years with so many people turning 65.
3: Well, so we, we can don't. care for each other.
2: Yeah, well, we, we are running out. But, you know, I think that, that what you pointed out... The economic impact, not just caregivers, the amount of work that caregivers do, but the economic impact of that care force of all of those people across the spectrum who are involved. You know, that's the dollar sign that we need to also let people know that this is this is something that's vital to our economy.
3: We Uh, are. We are the undergirding of the like, you know, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was the president, but someone talked about it as its infrastructure. You can't yes. go to work. It, caregiving you, is
2: infrastructure. I love that.
3: Right. And let's think about it that way. It's just as important as a bridge. If you can't leave your house because somebody's unsafe there, then you aren't help you can't do work in the paid workforce outside of your home. That's and the argument that's been made it.
1: for child care very effectively. And, and it's so true as well about caregiving.
3: We can think of our, our economy maybe a little differently. It's you know, this is a a, a leg of keeping a healthy economy. It's not saying people don't want to work. It's saying help us become better workers because we have we have safe and secure care for the people at home who can't care for themselves.
2: See, that's why what it's important of, that yeah, that's why it's important that our podcast, your podcast, we're all saying this and re, and having this conversation. I and mean, that's why I love talking with somebody who's
1: also talking about. What kids. kind of feedback are you getting on your uh, podcast?
3: People are very grateful. They they say they feel less alone. Um, and often I get uh, lengthy emails or uh, people's conditions that are really kind of heartrending, And I want them to not feel alone. I can't personally solve that. I'm not sure how much more I can do to address situations that are different in each state. But everyone who contacts me says, oh, my God, I thought I was alone. And now I don't feel so alone. I hope that's helpful. I want as many people to weigh in on it. And share it with the neighbor and ask their neighbors, how are you caring for your parents? Do you have any ideas? Can we partner on this? I will say we did um, our neighborhood, my parents' neighborhood, had really great help from our neighbors. And I got to know them and they kind of kept an eye out for my parents. They had extra key to the house. They knew if something somebody wasn't getting the newspaper in the morning. Those are things we can do without involving anybody paying to say we're part of a community. How do we keep an eye out for the older people in our neighborhood?
1: That's a good point, Carol. You get the last word.
3: Well, I,
2: you know, I do think the idea of community, being in the community, whatever your situation, but certainly if you see somebody is a caregiver or you are a caregiver, to make those connections
1: around you. Kitty Isley, thank Please. you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS on air. We really appreciate it. And uh, when you get to uh, San Antonio in uh, in January, maybe we can hook up again.
3: I'd love it. Thank you Carol's, so much for having me.
1: For Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. We'll talk with you again soon right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zernial and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air.
0: You have likely heard the commercials telling you that Metashare can save you up to 500 dollars a month or more on your health care, And it's true. Metashare is amazing. It's been the gold standard in health sharing for 30 years. But there's a new option. It's called Metashare Value, because a lot of people have said, "Hey, I'm healthy, I want to save money, however, and wherever I can, This is for them. And it may be perfect for you if you really want to take control of your healthcare spending. It empowers you fully to do that. It gives you access to big discounts at the doctor, gives you control with total price transparency, and it means lower out-of-pocket costs for doctor visits and hospital stays. So if you're looking for peace of mind and to save money wherever you can, MediShare Value might be absolutely perfect. Join a community of believers who want to empower you to save big on your health care. That can free you up in so many other ways. Find out more about MediShare Value. Call 855-87-BIBLE. That's 855-87-BIBLE. 855-87-BIBLE.